Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Tony Mosca with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, which is my first one, we're going to go right to the top. There are a lot of things going on in the Southern section for high school sports, and there's nobody more qualified to talk about what's going on than Rob Wygod, the commissioner of the Southern section in the CIF. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining us here. How was, how was Hawaii? Well, thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be with you. And uh, Hawaii was lovely. My wife and I had a nice uh, time there, just the two of us, and uh, just got back on Saturday. So back to work, but we certainly had a good time before it was time to go to work. Back to the grind. Now, you have been with the CIF for the better part of 20 years. After teaching coaching in Long Beach, how would you get involved with the CIF? What's what's the Rob Wygod story? Well, I grew up in Long Beach, and um, – I spent 17 years as a teacher, social studies teacher, football, baseball coach, and athletic director at two different high schools. And uh, just an opportunity uh, in the year 2000 came up for an assistant commissioner spot at the CIF Southern Section office. And, you know, just the opportunity. I love high school sports. I actually began coaching at my former high school, Long Beach Wilson. Started coaching football my second year of college. So I was 19 years old when it started. And I just love high school sports so much that I thought, wow, you know, an opportunity to do high school sports all day, every day as an assistant commissioner was uh, was very intriguing to me. So I applied for the job uh, and was hired in uh, September of 2000 and uh, had 19 years now in the office, 11 as an assistant commissioner and, and just finished my eighth as commissioner. And what is the biggest thing that you learned or that from being the assistant commissioner to now being the commissioner? I think the most important thing was this overall and overreaching viewpoint that you have as the commissioner. When you're an assistant commissioner, you're you're focused on your sports primarily, the ones that you're assigned to. I was uh, assigned to football, baseball, and wrestling, so you're you're very much involved in those sports with the coaches and with a lot of the the day to day activities involved in those specific sports. And certainly, when you become commissioner. Your focus isn't so much the day-to-day operation of each sport, but absolutely overseeing all 24 sports for boys and girls and, and having to be you know involved in those and, and working with the assistant commissioners in those and, and just seeing that global picture. And was that the biggest change from you going from the assistant to the head where now it's just there's so much more involvement where you're touching the surface on everything instead of really getting deeply involved in, in the few sports you had? I think that's that's pretty accurate, but I also think that you know when you become the commissioner, obviously you know that everything uh, the buck stops with you, and so therefore you have to make a lot more of those decisions that uh, are organizational decisions and and more far reaching decisions. And as like I said, as assistant commissioner, your focus is a little bit more narrow. And now as commissioner, obviously you are involved in everything, and you will be involved in decision making with so many more aspects to that. And then, you know, those decisions you make are many times the final decision, at least in terms of our office and and our organization. And that's certainly different than when you're an assistant commissioner and you have a commissioner to go to and and work with and and obviously makes 
most of the final decisions on, on certain things. And sometimes those decisions make people happy and sometimes they, they really upset people. Um, and, and that's, I guess that's the good and the bad of the job because I'm sure what you're doing decision wise is what everybody in the section thinks is best for kids, but not everybody always thinks that. Oh, that's, that's very true. But I think what I've tried to do, and I really started to do that as an assistant commissioner, and I, I've tried to continue on as commissioner, is to build relationships with people and try to get them to know us and we to know them so that when and if the time comes, whatever decisions are being made, they're being made per the bylaws, per the rules, you know, grounded in, in what's written in our what's called the blue book, but that it's not a personal thing. It's not because you like or dislike someone or because you have a grudge against somebody or there's a particular school you don't like. It, it's not about that. It's, it's about standing up for the rules when you have to do that, but that you have relationships with people that go deeper than the jobs that we have. And, and that's something that's been really important to me. I've, I found it to be, you know, I wanted it to be that way. And I, and I thought as I became an assistant commissioner, you know, would it be possible to still have relationships with people and get along with people, even when, um, you know, you sometimes have to do things that, that, uh, that are un unhappy for them. And I felt I was able to do that as an assistant commissioner for 11 years. And then of course, to become commissioner, the challenge maybe was even greater now to be able to, to have relationships with people and yet still make decisions that at times may impact them in a negative way. But our whole staff believes that. And, and I'm very fortunate that we have such a great staff of people who feel the same way, you know, we all do, that this really is about the relationships with our membership. We're trying to serve them the best way that we possibly can. And uh, we want to be there for them. And as I said, we, we want them to know us and we want to know them. Um, that's very important. That's, that's been probably the primary goal of, of everything I've tried to do in my 19 years in the office. And you do that by getting out to as many events as, as possible, because in my time with Fox, I've seen you, we run into each other periodically and then sometimes more often than we would think we would. Yeah. I see you more than my own family sometimes. Well, um, don't tell them that. But uh, I, I do think it's important, you know, to be out there to, to support our membership, our, our student athletes, our coaches, our athletic directors, our principals. That's a very, very big part of what I do and all of us do on our staff. And it, again, it just relates back to the idea of, of knowing each other. And the one thing about this job, and even as an assistant commissioner, wherever you go, there are 500 other places that you could be going. There, yeah. there's, no, there's no limit on where you can be present involved with the CIF Southern Section. So I think there is an appreciation when, when we are there because the people there realize that there's a lot of other places we could be, but we're, we're choosing to be there with them at that particular time and that day, that game or that event or whatever it might be. But that's the enjoyable part of it. I mean, that's the, the part you want to be involved in, getting out of the office, you know, going around the section, seeing the different people. Because if anything, you know, as I said to you before, I'm a Long Beach guy and I grew up in that area and coached and taught pretty much in that area. And I met a lot of wonderful people doing great things for students and student athletes. The greatest thing about this job is the people I've met from all over the place that do great things for students and student athletes. Just to you know, to, to, to go anywhere and see people that you know are really in it for the right reasons and trying to help young people learn the life lessons that they get out of athletics at the high school level. That's been a huge impression on me is just to, to meet the, the truly 
great people that are everywhere that are really dedicated to this work and believe in and what we were trying to do. And and when you took the job as commissioner, I'm sure you had a vision. Has that vision changed over the years or has it developed? And are you going in the direction you want it to go? I feel that, that we have. I, I, I think my motivation has always been the same throughout. I've always believed that we can get better at what we do. I feel that we do pretty well, but there's always something we can do better. I don't think it's going to ever be done. The day that I decide, you know, it's time to, to move on, I won't be doing that because the job is complete and there's nothing left that, that we can do better. So that's been my primary motivation. And what really inspires me every day is that whatever we're doing, I believe there's improvements that can be made. And we've made a lot of improvements. We've made improvements in technology. We've made improvements in our level of service. We've made improvements in the way we're conducting our championships and our playoffs. We've made improvements in our marketing programs, our, our communication and social media. And I mean, I, you know, there's just a lot of things and, and I'm not doing this by myself. As I mentioned, I've got a wonderful group of people in our office. So we have a very supportive executive committee who are my boss, all of our bosses who have been very willing to be supportive of changes that we've wanted to make and innovations we wanted to introduce. And I feel that we've accomplished a lot, but there's always more to do. And I'm still, you know, energized and motivated to, to continue to do that. And you, you mentioned the, the playoffs. Football is obviously the, the, the biggie out there. You know, your games are televised. They're live streamed. A few years ago, you guys changed up things a little bit. Instead of an entire league being in a specific division, you kind of threw it kind of into the, the bingo barrel. And, and now there are teams in leagues that are not in the same division. How has that worked? And is have you gotten positive feedback from that? I, I think we definitely have. It was not just in football. It was actually in 14 sports across the board. But there were two things that we were trying to address. And that was the competitive level of a program how good you are or not how or not good you are is really the issue. It's not whether you're a large school, small school, medium-sized school, a public school, a private school, a charter school. None of that matters. A, a school with socioeconomic advantages maybe over others. The, the issue is competition. Are you competitive at the level that you're competing with? And in a league, that's not necessarily true. And so putting everybody in the same league in the same playoff division, the league champion, for example, is already better than the other schools in that league. And now they're all playing in the same division. So what's arguably going to happen to everybody else besides the league champion? They're going to be overmatched. We saw lopsided games. We saw a lot of, you know, repetitive teams winning championships every year. The things that we've seen happen in competitive equity playoffs across the 14 sports is definitely closer games, especially in the earlier rounds. And secondly, new schools having chances to win that have never had those chances in the past. And it's not always about winning. It's just being able to compete. If you win the championship, only one team gets to do that. But were right. you competitive? Were you? Did you have a chance? And the feedback we've gotten from many, many schools and many different sports is that, yes, this has been a great opportunity for us because we've never had this chance to be in the finals. We've never had this chance to compete for a championship. And now that we have, you know, we've we've been able to, to build our programs and, and keep the interest level high and and keep students motivated to be part of our programs. And I think that's been really gratifying to see that. Now, in, in football, division the Division One football, the last few years, 
the, the three constants in, in the final four have been modern day, St. John Bosco, Corona Centennial, and then someone else. You're doing something a little bit different at the Division I level this year with some Division II teams. Explain what that is and how that's going to work as far as championships and state bowl bids go. Well, one thing about the competitive equity playoff system that I hope everyone remembers, because we've talked about it since we started it, before we started it, was it was going to continue to evolve. What we did, we had to get it started. And what we started with wouldn't necessarily be what we had two, three, four years down the road. One of the things that emerges from competitive equity playoffs when you're placing schools, you're placing them by their performance. You're doing it with power rankings. You're doing it based on their performance. So what, what we're seeing in several different sports who've already tried this, we're, we're doing this in, in basketball with the open division for boys and girls. We're doing it in water polo for boys and girls, tennis for boys and girls, girls and boys volleyball. What you might find at the top is a, a fewer number of schools because those are the schools that are performing better and therefore competitive equity playoffs is not just to fill the bracket. Well, we have to fill division one with this many teams because we have to have this many teams. No, we don't. We have to have the teams that belong. So if that means that some of our top divisions in some of these sports have less, you know, an eight team bracket, let's say this year in division one football and the 16 team brackets everywhere else. That's because those are the teams that belong in division one. And so instead of just filling it to 16 and putting anyone in there, then we're back to the same problem we had in the past. Lopsided games, you know, games with, I'll give you a quick example. When we started this thing, the average margin of victory in division one in the first round, average margin of victory was 37 points. Two years into this program, the average margin of victory in the first round of division one in football was 13 points. So by grouping the right schools together, who wants to watch a 37-point game? You'd like to watch a 13 And I tell you what, as a broadcaster, those are the toughest ones to broadcast. They are. They're the toughest ones to play in, to coach in, to officiate in, to be a fan watching. So our, our goal was to try to implement this system and see what we expected to see, which would be better matchups because the schools playing each other were the schools that should be playing in that division. They may not be from the same league. You know, they may not be uh, schools that are just there because the league champion is there. It's because you belong. And we've seen that in across the, the, the range of sports. We've seen it in all of our sports that have been involved in this, the, especially the early rounds, which used to be you could make a bracket up and you could already pencil in your semifinalists and finalists because there was really no mystery about that. Now you, you see number one seeds lose in the first round. You see schools, you know, get knocked off. And that's, you know, that's not a surprise anymore. It's, it's something that should happen if you're really truly in competitive playoffs. And so we've seen that. And um, if you notice smaller division ones or you notice that, yes, Bosco, Modern Day, and, and, and uh, Centennial, per, you know, every single year find themselves at least in the semifinals, well, that could be the case. But getting there – should be hopefully competitive matchups if they happen to get there. And if they are competitive matchups, you know, maybe somebody's going to start knocking these people off. But it may not happen with a 16-team bracket. It may happen more commonly with an 18-team bracket. So that's so what – go ahead. In the Division One football, which would then be the open, you're going with an eight-team playoff bracket. Yes. And then a, that would be the open division. 
And then below that, there would be a 16-team Division One bracket, correct? Well, yes yes and no. It is the okay. same concept. You have the concept right. But we're not calling it Division One. We're calling it Division One and Two. We're not calling it open. Because okay. open – the word open means you're basically – you could pick anybody to put into an open division. Well, we're not doing that in in football. We're not doing that really in any other sport. Basketball still calls itself the open division, but as you've paid attention to, I'm sure, if you notice the last three, four years with power rankings and the competitive playoff system, everybody going into the open division basketball is, is from Division One because that's where they should be. You know, the, the origination of open division – was you'd find somebody in Division Four or Five that was just really outstanding, and you'd pull them all the way up. We don't have that anymore. If you're any good, you've already moved up. You're already in Division One. What we're doing, the concept is this: we have a Division One and Two combined when the season starts, all based on power rankings, all based on the rankings using the last two years of our results, regular season, strength of schedule, and playoff performance in the section playoffs. That's what generates our power rankings. We've got a 24 team. Division one and two combined. At the end of this regular season, the top eight teams by power ranking will be the top eight teams to go to Division one. The sixteen teams that are not in Division one will be in the Division two bracket. I like it. I love it. I think I think it's great because you know last year up up where I am in Santa Clarita, Valencia wins another league championship, and oh by the way, their reward is modern day. Yeah. And and, yeah. Why? Well, and you, you, you've hit on exactly what one of the examples that I used in talking about this with people. You were probably there two years ago. Valencia plays Oaks Christian in the Division II championship final. It's a one-point game. It was a great game. Yes, Oaks Christian wins by one point. Well, in the system, arguably the two Division II finalists will end up in Division I the next year, and they both did. Oaks Christian went 10-0. and was an outstanding team with a lot of great players last year, got to the semifinals. Valencia was 6-4, and four, a league champion, but probably didn't belong in Division I the, the year after they were in the finals. And that, you know, we understand that. You graduate, you know, that you don't have the same team you had a year ago. But that, that example totally proves why we're doing what we're going to do. At the end of this year, if that same scenario was to happen, there's no question Oaks Christian would still be put into Division I at the end of the regular season. But Valencia wouldn't have been. Last year, we didn't have that choice. This year, we will. And so those top eight teams will be based on the last two years of their performance and also this regular season. And as I mentioned, last year, Oaks Christian was certainly a Division I team and proved it. Valencia probably wasn't. And so they should have stayed in Division II, but there wasn't a way for us to do that. There is now. And that's part of this evolution to make it as good as we can make it. Have you got good reviews from people, from coaches that you guys have talked to and heard from? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, again, you know, when you're looking at the top group, that's a select group. And there aren't a lot of teams that necessarily belong there. So when you make adjustments like the open division in basketball or you make adjustments like this, you have a, a large majority of schools that, that are very supportive of it. Valencia High School is tremendously supportive of this because they realize, you know, two years ago when they played Oaks Christian, they were one point apart. But the following year, they were more than one point apart. And so they shouldn't necessarily have competed in the same division the following year when they played down to the wire in a championship final. So this is the kind of stuff that we're trying to do to keep evolving, to make it as good as we can make it for as many schools as we can and as competitive as we can make it. So as I mentioned, there's been a lot of support for the idea because now there will be a more fair selection of teams 
for the open division because we're still going to include this year. I, I called it. My, I called it open myself. I, I apologize yeah, for the top, top division. Division one, there will be a representative group of eight teams who will be selected based on the current regular season as well. And we didn't have that a year ago. We're going to have it this year. I, I, I think it's great. I think it makes it a little bit more interesting because as a fan myself, you kind of want to maybe prognosticate out a little bit and go, who are going to be those eight teams? And then if yeah. I'm one of those teams on the cusp, hey, maybe I'm now one of those top teams in that Division Two bracket yeah. where I didn't quite yeah. make it, and now I've got a little bit more hope for a championship. Well, exactly. I mean, if you're if you're Valencia last year, and I think you know if you if you rank the teams, they ended up probably around 13. Well, now you know if you're 13 in the 16 team Division One bracket, you pretty much know. And like you said, they got one of the top four seeds. In modern day, this coming year, if that same scenario develops as number 13, they're not going to be in the division one bracket and someone else will that belongs in there. Because, again, you're using power rankings on previous year's performance. See, eventually what we're going to get to is including the regular season for all the divisions. This is sort of a bridge to getting there where you can. But the most important thing is to get all the data that we need. We need every score of every game reported in a timely manner so that we can actually include the regular season, the current regular season, with the previous performance and then generate power rankings at the end of the regular season and actually do divisional placements at the end of the regular season. And that makes it even better than what we're doing now. Now we're doing it based on the two previous years. And again, a lot can change. You know, the last two years, the team's been really good and they may not have that core kids anymore. And so they'll tell you, this is the word a lot of schools will use. They'll say, well, we were in the division two final and we're being punished by going to division one and we won't belong in division one this next year because we lost the, the, the core players that got us to the division two final. Well, we're want, wanting to work on that by not punishing anybody for their success, but dealing with a more realistic competitive placement for that school, including what they do in the regular season that just finishes. I, I think it's a great idea. I, I think that it's great that everything is evolving and we're, we're changing. And, and to be a part of it, as, as somebody who goes out to a different game every week, I, I really look forward to the playoffs. I wait for that Sunday morning to see what brackets, you know, who's where. It's like, it's like March Madness for me. Where, where is Fox going to send me? What game am I going to get? Who am I get to see? I, I think it's a great idea. Well, well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I want to commend you because I realize that, that this is what you do as a profession. You're, you're very good at it, but you're also a fan. And, and that comes across in the way that you cover and the way that you approach what you do. And every time that I see you, you know, I know you're genuinely excited to be present and able to do what you get to do by broadcasting the high school games. And so, you know, you're, you're a fan and that makes it more fun. And we appreciate that uh, because that's, that's really, I'm a fan and I've been a high school sports fan for ever since I played high school sports I enjoy it so much, and I really do think we get the opportunity for, for student-athletes to make memories for the rest of their lives through these uh, experiences that they get. And we always say the same thing. Win or lose, we want that to be a great experience and something they'll remember, and I hope that's what we're trying to provide. I, I agree. Um, you know, we hear a lot about transfers, and it's well-publicized. Obviously, it's, it's a huge issue with you guys. 
This year, if I believe my numbers are correct, there were about 6,500 down from 7,200 in 17, 18. People are going to do what they want to do, send their kid wherever they want to go. But how is it that we deal with kids that just say, I'm going to leave my school and I'm going to go there because I want to, I want a chance to win a ring or get more college exposure. How are you guys dealing with that? Well, there's one thing I'm not sure everyone understands, and that is that the CIF is not myself or those who work in our office. The Southern section is not the employees. The Southern sections are member high schools, and the statewide CIF is the high school statewide, and they make the rules. So the transfer rules that we have now are the, are the rules that have been made by our membership. We took the entire school year last year to study the current transfer rules in our section. We did a survey of our schools. We formed a transfer rules committee from all nine geographic areas of our section. We've really tried to dive into this and say, are there changes that we need to make? One of the things that, that I, I write monthly messages from the commissioner, and I wrote one towards the end of last year about loyalty. I think we teach a lot of great things through high school athletics, but the one thing I think we're missing is teaching loyalty to students and student athletes. And a lot of us, and I mean our membership, are part of that. So when a student transfers away from a school, the loyalty for that school and that program is gone. And when they transfer into a new school and the new school immediately rewards that student by, you know, they become the starting quarterback. Well, what's the loyalty to the young quarterback who'd been there for the last two or three years waiting for their turn? And I think those are some of the things that we're seeing that are filtering down. I think the college level is, you know, an unbelievable example of, of that kind of jumping around. I mean, my goodness, I'm reading now about freshmen who haven't yet to play one down of college football who've already gone to two or sometimes three high school, uh, three colleges. They signed a letter of intent. Yeah. They went, they decided they want to stay there. They went somewhere else. They're going somewhere else. I mean, it's become something that that's gotten out of control but those that are out of control are, are mostly parents and, and students who think that the grass is always greener versus trying to stick something out, see if they can overcome whatever that adversity might be. And then it's much more meaningful to be able to do that versus just jump ship and go somewhere else. The moment there's even a hint of, of some change or some kind of thing where you think, it's going to affect you in a negative way. It's disappointing. A lot of us grew up. A lot of us grew up with you know a group of friends that we were friends with through elementary and middle school. Went to high school together, played, and were teammates together. And, and some of that's just not the case anymore. And that's too bad because that's a valuable part of the experience. But it's also a sign of the times. And one of the things that I, I will say that comes from one of our assistant commissioners, Reiner Wolf, who's in charge of basketball, and Reiner has said clearly many times the travel and club world has filtered into high school because what happens in the travel and club yeah. world, the moment, I mean, the moment you think there's some, you're going to jump, you're going to jump clubs, you're going to jump teams, you're going to go somewhere else. Well, a lot of that mentality has filtered into the high school and there's uh, uh, an issue for us to deal with in terms of the disruption that causes, but unless our schools and actually more importantly than that, our legislator and our lawyers in the state of California are willing to accept a much stricter transfer rule, I, I think we're going to have to manage the transfer situation with the numbers that we have versus having rules that are so restrictive that that limit the transfers because the only thing that's going to do is, is fire up the legislators and the lawyers 
that are saying that, you know, students are being denied opportunities. And if you look around the nation, a lot of states are much more loose and, and liberal in their transfer rules than we are. So we'll have to keep monitoring that going forward. And, and I think that at the end of the day, when you talk about loyalty, I think the biggest lesson to learn is, hey, if I'm dealing with adversity somewhere, how do I step up and compete? If somebody's coming in and somebody's as good as me or maybe a little bit better than me, what do I need to do to work hard, to work better, to work smarter, to make myself better, to earn that starting spot over that guy instead of just saying, okay, I'm just going to go jump ship. I think in the long run in, in your life, I think that's a negative if that's your habit. Well, of course. And, and don't you think that that translates later? I mean, if the first answer is to run off and go somewhere else and the parents are teaching their young people that, and our coaches are sometimes in cases teaching our young people that, what's the lesson going to be down the road? And and when the job doesn't happen to work out perfectly or the, the marriage doesn't work out perfectly or whatever, and the only thing that the, the young person knew growing up was, well, if something wasn't just perfect, it's time to run and go somewhere else. And I think that's a really, really dangerous lesson that we maybe aren't realizing some of our, our coaches and some of our parents are teaching our, our, our young people is that you don't stick to anything. You just run. And I, I really yeah, feel that's a that's a disservice because I always say this, you know, and it's something I took from my high school coaches. And they always talked about, you know, what you put in is what you get out. So if, if you've invested so much into something, then you're really going to benefit from that. You're going to you're going to feel satisfaction from what you get when you've invested nothing, then it doesn't mean anything to you. And if all you've done is, is just jump from place to place, you haven't invested anything. And I, and I think when it's all said and done at the end of that, you feel, I think a little bit empty because when you haven't put anything in, how do you expect to get anything out? And I think a lot of college coaches look at that too. The, the several that I know, they look and say, Tony, why was this kid at four different high schools in four years? Yep. Is there something you know that we don't know? Have you talked to people? And and I think that there's something to be said for loyalty because, Rob, you know, you've been around a long time. If this kid is good enough, somebody's going to find him. Whether you go to small Division 10 school. I did Linfield Christian last year in a championship game. They had an offensive lineman going to Cal. I was okay. there. I saw him too. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we were there together. And, and when yeah. you look at smaller schools there are big time players at smaller schools no question and you are so right especially now you could go back 20 25 years ago and that may not have been a, an accurate statement because the ability for everything to be filmed and and seen at that point wasn't necessarily where we are today my goodness you are so right about that if you're a player you're that's their job at the college level that's what they do is find players and it's easier to find players now than it was 20, 25 years ago because everything's there for you to see. So I, I completely agree with you. And, and this notion, you know, just this last week, as you, as you followed, it's funny, I was out of town and I, I come back and, you know, this whole Sierra Canyon story now with, you know, we already knew about LeBron James' son and Dwayne Wade's son. They already had a couple of really great players coming back. And now the next thing we know is this really great player out of Notre Dame High School is coming and another uh, young man's coming from out of state. And, and at one point, it's like, well, well who's behind that? Yeah. You, I truthfully, people can think I'm naive. I don't think Sierra Canyon is calling the guy at Notre Dame. 
But there's some mechanism in this young man's eyes and his family's eyes from Notre Dame where he's played for three years and been an outstanding player who everybody knows is on the radar. Yeah. But he decides he's got to go to Sierra Canyon for his senior year. I don't think LeBron James called that young man and his family and told him to come. You know, that's the other story as well. LeBron does this in the NBA, so now he's orchestrating this at Sierra Canyon for high school kids. I don't believe that either. But but there is this – you said it earlier, and I can't speculate. I haven't talked to the young man. I don't know what his family's thinking. But I'm thinking if he's been at Notre Dame for three years and he's been as outstanding player as he is, why does he need to go anywhere? And I read in the paper, well, he had some disagreement with his coach. Okay, well, you've been there for three years. Can't we work that out and come back for our senior year and finish it up the right way? No, we got to run over to Sierra Canyon. They got enough players over there. Yeah, you don't have enough basketballs for all those kids. Well, and so, like I said, if, if the if the idea is that LeBron James went out and tried to get you know other people to come join his son, well, that's counterproductive because if he's going to go out and get these guys, they're going to take playing time away from his son. So I don't see that either. But you know, it, it gets people angry. It gets people excited because they say, "Wow, you know." This is a super team now being built, and, and they're going to be this juggernaut team. Well, they may be, and, and they may be. But at some point, how many basketballs can you have and how many players can you have and how many minutes are there in the game? And we'll have to wait and see it, you know, how that plays out. But um, it, it's, it's a challenge that, that I think from the beginning, I've always, I was asked in my interview for assistant commissioner 19 years ago what I saw – as, as something potentially dangerous down the road. And I said, trying to make high school into a business. The high school athletic experience is supposed to be about education, a classroom outside the building, teaching kids life lessons that they're going to use and become productive members of our society. The sad part is there's a whole group of people out there in an industry out there that wants to make high school sports into a business. And that's too bad because the people at this age, they should be able to have a little bit more fun. They should be able to enjoy the high school experience. And for whatever that leads for their future, instead of, you know, professionalizing them as 14-year-olds. And that, that's the part that I, I feel is a threat to us and, and a, an unfortunate side effect of, of some of today's reality. And I, I could not agree more with you. I think that the infiltration of the, the clubs and the travel and kids playing year-round sports, which for me is a topic for another day for about three hours – let kids play multiple sports. Don't be doing all this year round stuff. I, you know, just let kids be kids, let them just play and, and yep. have fun. And, and if you're good enough, like this young man from Notre Dame, he's going to go to college and play basketball and get a free. Of course he is. And, and you know, I'm sure he's worked hard and deserves that opportunity. I just, there's, there's a, an aspect of this that I always talk to people about where let's just take football for a minute. There's 85 division one, scholarships in a, in a college football program at that level. That's the same number 85 that was probably in 1980. So the number of young people who believe, or families, parents that believe that they can get one of those is probably increased tenfold through private quarterback coaches, speed coaches, strength coaches, uh, you name it, coaches. This, the whole seven-on-seven seven racket that goes seven on, on where these kids – yeah. The minute the season's over, they go play with their seven-on-seven seven team. So you're selling a dream of getting that scholarship. And if the if the opportunities have increased threefold, you know, now there's 220 scholarships at every Division One university. Okay, I get that. But that number is the same number. But the number of people who believe they can get one of those because they've been sold a dream has increased 
unbelievably. So this is where we're really missing the boat in terms of the reality of how many of these young people are actually going to get that chance. We're not in business as the Southern section to develop college and professional athletes. 99.999% of the young people that participate in our athletic programs are going to go on to something else besides a, a college or professional athletic experience. So it's not about that group. Are we proud of that group? Sure. Some of the greatest athletes in the world came out of Southern Section High Schools. But it's not who we are. It doesn't define who we are. And that's the part that that I don't like to see everyone so wrapped up in this college and professional next step when that's just such a small number of students to get that chance. And the opportunities for those students are the same opportunities that they've had for for a long, long, long time. And I think when you look at some sports, and, and I'll just take soccer, for example. My daughter played college soccer mm-hmm. where there are 35 kids on a team, 22 travel, and a coach gets 11 and a half, 12 scholarships. Right, right. And, and people are putting their kids in club soccer since they're 10 years old, eight years old, whatever it is. You're playing club soccer for 10 years. You're spending all that money. You know, put that money in a trust fund for your kid. You'll end up getting a free college education anyway. That's true. But I want to say this because I, I didn't necessarily have to, uh, to say it before. I didn't get the chance maybe. But I had a, one of our daughters played club soccer. We had wonderful coaches. I, I don't say that club and travel coaches are not good coaches. There's oh, no, I think there's some of them are the best that have, that have plenty ever plenty of them. Around. My daughter had a fabulous soccer coach who was actually the head soccer coach, women's soccer coach at Whittier College. And she was an All-American at Notre Dame. And she was our club soccer coach, and she was fantastic. So great role model for my daughter. So like I said, our club soccer experience was great. And um, there are a lot of great coaches that, that are part of our high school programs that also are club coaches. And, and that's fine. I, I don't disparage the, the level of coaching in the club and the travel. What I don't necessarily like to see happen, though, is, is, is because people are paying for this instruction or paying for the club experience, that that person you know, becomes – the primary voice when the high school coach sort of gets put aside where I think the high school coach is really looking out for the total education of that student athlete and the club travel person, their focus is the sport. I mean, I get it. That's their, that's what they do. And, and that's their job. And their focus is getting more kids on their team right. because they're making a living at it. That's the point I was kind yeah. of trying to make. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, let's go one more question here and then maybe we could do a part two in a week or two. Uh, Because there's just so much to talk about. The Fox Sports now is going to – they got bought by by Disney. And now the regional sports networks are being under the guise of Sinclair. What have you heard about this? Do you think it's a good thing? And what do you see the future of the, the live events and the live stream events? Well, we've had a partnership with Fox Sports West for 20 plus years, and we're very, very fortunate to have that partnership. What we have, no other section in the state has, and many other states in the country do not have. And so we've been really blessed to have the wonderful relationship with Fox Sports that we have. There's some great people there. You know them all because you work with them, and they love high school sports, and they want to continue to be part of it. We don't know a whole lot. They don't know a whole lot at the moment. The The word on Sinclair is they are uh, a high school sports group. They like doing high school sports. They've been doing it. And we're hoping that we'll be able to continue on with the uh, prep zone and the stream games, as well as the 
the live TV games and football and our girls volleyball, boys basketball finals that we do, that still just needs to be worked out to know what the parameters are going to be. We uh, are very hopeful and optimistic that we can continue to showcase this great product that we have. And the way that Fox Sports does it is so professional and HD quality and and talk about making memories that these young people and their families and communities have. That when they're on those those platforms and they get to record that game and have it forever, you know, that truly is something special. So we really want to look at this as a, an opportunity to even expand if we can and keep it going. There's no shortage of programming. We've got plenty of programming for them. So uh, if they have the room for us, then we certainly hope that we'll be able to continue that. And, and I tell you what, I've been to so many games, so many events where people have come up to me and, and thanked us for the job that we do and and the publicity that that all of the kids get. And it's a great tool for recruiting because coaches all over the country can go in and boot up a high school football game in California, and you know you're going to have five quality games, ten really good teams on, on any Friday night. Well, I, I want you, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I, me and quick stories don't necessarily happen, but I was at the National High School Federation meeting in Indianapolis at the end of June, and I walked into a restaurant, and I ran into a parent from Long Beach whose daughter played volleyball at St. Anthony High School, who they were in the championship game. They were streamed live on Fox Sports West, and he had already purchased that. He had it at home. She was interviewed after the game. They have that, and he said, you know, that's been the greatest experience of my daughter and our family's life was that our championship game was streamed live. We got to keep it forever and ever. And it's truly something I'm so thankful for. And this is, you know, in a, in a restaurant, Indianapolis at the end of June. So the work you're doing and the work that Fox is doing, it's making a difference and people do appreciate it. And we love it, Rob. I, we count the days until football season <laughs> starts. I think we're at like, Something like 32 right now, but we always look forward to Friday nights, and and I always look forward to seeing you guys out there. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I hope I wasn't too much of a bother. Hopefully, we can catch up. You know, I've got a lot more to ask you, and I'm I'm sure we could talk for for hours and hours. So you know, we'll we'll talk and we'll try and set something up in the in the very near future. Rob, thank you so much for your time, and uh, just look forward to a great 1920 sports season. Well, I, I do too, Tony, and thank you, and I, I do really appreciate you and all the great work that you do, and uh, I love talking sports with you, so anytime you want me to come on and, and we can talk, I'm happy to do it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Fantastic, Rob. I will be in yeah. touch with you this week, next week. Thanks so much. You got it. Take care. All right. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. You can find us at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Tony Moskal, T-O-N-Y-M-O-S-K-A-L. If you've got any feedback, please let me know. If you didn't like it, please let me know. If you've got suggestions, feel free to send them my way. If you've got an idea for a guest, let me know. I hope to cover as many sports as possible throughout the year on a weekly basis. Thanks for joining us here on Believe. Until next time, I'm Tony Moskal. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.